This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by one of my favorite names on this podcast history. We're up to 300 episodes. Top five name, Felix Sicard. Felix, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I, I'm glad I've been able to make some sort, some type of top five in my life. This is definitely up there for me. So thank you. It's one of the most important um, you'll probably get. And I don't see that, like it's not a shot. It's just that's how important that sort of yeah. admiration no, don't, is. Don't don't uh, don't sell yourself short, man. I get it. I mean, I you'd be amazed. There are some names on this podcast where it just when you when you talk to people all over the world, um, you get uh, you get some names. And Felix Sicard is just it's hard to top. Like I don't even think the the random WWE name generator that they do would even come up with something like Felix Sicard because yeah, it, uh, yeah. It's good. I, I don't know who, like, what the closest like movie comp would be. Like, who could play a character with that name? Um, yeah, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal could do it. Um, speaking yeah. of, watched Nocturnal Animals yesterday. I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters. Just as good. It was a Jake day. I love Jake days. He's the greatest actor of my lifetime. But um, yeah, no, love Nocturnal Animals. And now you have me um, thinking about watching Prisoners really late tonight. Um, this is not good. <laughs> this is already devolving out of what we were going to talk about tonight. But anyway, I just threw a, a, a shit ton at you right now, Felix. Yeah, well, my uh, if, if my my regular podcast co-host Jake Rudolph is listening, he's gonna love the fact that you just said his name Jake just over and over again. There, he's probably gonna get a good chuckle out of that. So, well, to so be fair, yeah. I was talking about Jake Gyllenhaal, and I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, Jake I, I know you were, but when you find Jake, <laughs> when you said it's a, it's gonna see like it's a Jake there or something like that. I was like, oh, he's gonna love that. So there you go. We we, we was, have um, our we we have our constant one-upsmanship of each other. So this is this will just be filed r- right into that. Well, that sounds extremely healthy and <laughs> yes, very sustainable. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are perfectly healthy and sustainable for success, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks 
are heading into an offseason after a member berries year where it was one of the franchise's worst, but they wanted to retire some numbers and bring back some cool Mighty Duck stuff and make you forget. And I, I, I want to say that Paul Correa was just shouted out on the intercom every now and then, every single game of like, don't look away, look away. Um, <laughs> remember this? But uh, no, it was it was really bad. Coach got fired. GM goes behind the bench. It was a very... It, you know what I just hated about this season and just watching these games like because I'm on the East Coast, so mm-hmm. I'm already having to stay up late. It, if you're going to be bad, be fun bad. This team was right. not fun bad. This team was boring as just they were just boring as shit bad, and it drove me nuts. I'm like, what am I doing? Why why am I watching them down one nothing? I know how this ends. Like them falling down two goals. It's like what? Well, I can do literally anything else. Yeah, when you um. When you brought when you segued there and said bring speaking of healthy uh, franchises, I, I was really hoping you'd say the LA Lakers, but mm. um, that's I'm that's a totally different podcast. Yeah, I mean, I um, it was one of those years for the Ducks that there was definitely a, like three four month stretch where the games were just completely unwatchable. Especially, I would say like Febu- February to March was probably, I mean, when you're losing games, that infamous Canadian road trip where you, you're losing games 9-1, 7-1, you know, it's just completely getting blown out. It's not fun for anyone unless you're a fan of the other team. Um, I thought that they did get a little more enjoyable to watch if you were still watching by the end of the season, which most people were not anymore. When they brought up all the kids and they decided to just pivot towards, all right, let's kind of start the let's start training camp now basically for next season. So I'm in a way optimistic for them moving forward because I think they they have accepted what they are, which is always the for any team, anyone ever is always a very important step to accept what is actually happening. And so there's I think there's there's room for cautious optimism here. Cautious optimism is a good way of looking at it because that's how you look at this farm system, right? Like when you were talking about like their off-season priorities, um, depending on who you read, it's a very middle-of-the-road system, but it has a lot of guys who um, I believe, and a, a colleague of yours, CJ, wrote about this, of that like they, like a lot of these guys are going to be in the NHL for a long time, but they don't have a blue chip prospect, someone that really is just super appetizing and someone who's going to sell tickets um, and get this fan base excited about just um, the post Getzlav era. And that's part of the reason that this whole season was like Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes. Maybe? Yeah. No. Oh, we're going to win too many games. Got it. Great. And uh, now he's in New Jersey where um, I'm sure Gary Bettman is just filled with excitement that uh, Jack Hughes is in New Jersey and Connor McDavid is in Edmonton. Great, great situation for the NHL for the next couple of years. Especially since the Rangers, the Rangers and Blackhawks almost had the first pick. Um, yeah. I, I think that with their group of prospects, I'm, it's so interesting how these things go because obviously the, the San Diego goals are, in their in the conference final in the AHL playoffs, and so I've been watching those games. And though you know it's hard to watch those games and and see some of these guys like Max Contois do really well and really produce, and and then remind yourself, all right, you know we still haven't seen it necessarily at the next level. But I I started off this past season as definitely in the camp that there's no star among this group. And I still would generally, 
go that route. But I do think that, especially with a guy like Contois and even a guy like Troy Terry, who was so productive in the AHL, generally, if you're that productive in the AHL at that age, it's a good indicator. Again, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a star, but I, I think, and even a guy like Max Jones, who although didn't really produce a ton, if at all, you know, as a, you know, in his late season stint with the Ducks, his underlying numbers are really good. I mean, he shot the puck a lot. He was present every game. You could, you could notice him out there. So I, I think that they're going to get guys who I, I, my bet is one of them becomes a really good player and the rest become, you know, good roster players. Now, the big thing for them, the kind of crown jewel for all of this is that they have that ninth overall pick. And obviously the ninth overall pick is not necessarily, I mean, the, the odds just flatten out so much that you're going to get a star after that top three. But even still, if they can really hit a home run there on that ninth pick, and then all of a sudden that takes pressure off of those other players that they already have, and then you're looking at a really good situation. So um, I think that if they can really nail this first round, because they're going to have two picks in the first round, they could really bolster their farm system. And again, it's not, it's not like they're, they have a get for a Perry in the wings, but they're, they're going to have something that they can build around. And then eventually when those guys are all good and still on their ELCs, then maybe you can swing a trade for a guy like that. There's, it's interesting the age that we're in where we, we kind of went from, all right, you have to tear it down all the way to the ground, all the way to the bone before rebuilding. And now we're seeing teams do a better job. We're understanding that you don't necessarily have to go all the way down that rabbit hole. I mean, you look at uh, the Bruins in the playoffs right now. I mean, they had a couple lean years, but they maintained their core. And now they have young guys who, again, are not stars, uh, like a DeBrusque or those types of players, but that they, they contribute and they can be good around those key pieces. So I don't know. There's, there's so much to unpack. There's so many things you could take away big picture team building wise, but it's, it's a fascinating time for sure. I think to be around this team. Would you hire a coach? Would I hire a coach? <laughs> well, I, I think it would be helpful to have someone with NHL so? coaching experience. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the big question right now, but what's interesting is that all of the guys that they're targeting are AHL kind of newer wave type guys or assistant coaches. So again, that's just another indicator to me that they're not looking at this upcoming season as we're going to bring in a retread, a guy who, you know what you're getting, you're shooting for that, that wild card spot. The, the guys, I mean, the guys that they're hiring are a definitely coaches <laughs> and also B, I think that they realize, all right, we, we need to kind of steer this thing along at a, at a slower pace than maybe they initially thought. I wouldn't rule out Bruce Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a young spry 64. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> What if Bob Murray just says, you know what? I didn't really like any of these guys. I'm just going to do this myself again. I mean, I I would put nothing past Bob Murray at this point. I, I did not expect him to fire his good friend, Randy Carlisle, before the season started, even if things got really bad. And he did that. And then he also stepped behind the bench and did a pretty good job. I mean, the, the Ducks were not this great team yeah that was him, the problem but, he was too good they played yeah, too well but, and they got exactly. them out of the, he got them out of the jack hughes sweepstakes which is incredible to me yeah. because he's the gm and that's his like if he was coach i mean if he was in the press box while randy carlisle was winning too many games he'd be 
furious, but he did it himself, and he just sabotaged GM Bob Murray. I, I love that Coach Bob Murray sabotaged GM Bob Murray. <laughs> well, that's the that's the interesting thing about all of this is that on one hand, the right play, if this was all about just getting the greatest odds at a top three pick, would have been to just leave Randy Carlisle in there the entire year and just completely bottom out. And I think that the Ducks just decided that the human cost was too high, that losing these games at such a just awful pace was just, they just wouldn't stand for it. And on one hand, I admire that. On the other hand, wouldn't it be nice to be in a position to draft Jack Hughes right now if you're the Ducks? I don't know. I don't really know. I, I've, I've gone back and forth on that so much the entire year. Then again, you would think bringing in a, a GM with no coaching experience would would help you sabotage your odds at at a, at a drop at a you know and bring in you know a lower pick. But that being said, I I think that it probably just all points back to the fact that Randy Carlisle is was well past his expiration date as an NHL head coach. Who is Lucas Dostal? He is a goalie in the Ducks system who I actually think has the potential to be pretty good. Um, he's kind of risen up the depth chart uh, ahead of Ole Eriksson Ek. He just signed an entry-level contract, and we'll see where that goes. The Ducks are in an interesting situation where Ryan Miller is a free agent uh, this summer, and they're going to have to figure out who their backup goalie is going to be, which really matters when your starter is John Gibson, who, I mean, through no fault of his own, just gets hurt a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and and so they're they're going to need to figure that out. I would suspect that Ryan Miller comes back for one more year while a guy he's like Dostal, yeah, he's very good. He he is probably one of the best, if not the best backup goalies in the league right now. But it, is he willing to do one more year just to give Dostal or Erickson Eck or whoever time to shake out? I don't know. <laughs> or does he go to Carolina who loses all their goalies? Uh, this I don't think any goalie should want to go to Carolina because you just have to assume that you're just magically going to get worse when you get there. Just on arrival. Uh, we'll get to Carolina. I have some <laughs> stats for you on Carolina, but um, Ooh, okay. a couple other things on the ducks. Um, what does the Ryan Kessler injury mean for them in 2019, 2020? So, as a, yeah, so that's the proper way to frame it. What does it mean for next season? Because you, you really can't know that much further into the future beyond next season. They're going to, I mean, because he didn't announce that he's retiring, the only other logical possibility here is that he'll be placed on long-term injured reserve. Uh, that only goes into effect at the start of the season, but he they will have some cap savings there. He went through that hip resurfacing procedure. It's going to take some time for him to really even think about coming back as an NHL player, but for right now, what it really means, it, it, it can mean two things. One is that the Ducks are going to look to bolster their center depth um, and maybe do that and by the way of trade. So one obvious trade chip would be Adam Henrique. You know, you flip him, maybe add a D-man, add some depth down the middle, or maybe the Ducks decide that because Kessler is out, which would be odd since he has not really been good for the last two years, that they all of a sudden have to keep Adam Henrique to preserve their depth I'm starting to think that because of the way this franchise is trending and because of the way that they're kind of retooling, I would suspect that they will be fine not having a true competing NHL center lineup next season. They probably flip Adam Henrique with his kind of 
bizarrely long-term and high annual average value contract uh, to someone and bring in some more depth and just kind of let that, let that middle spot develop on its own with a guy like Sam Steele in there. So as far as what it means for Ryan Kessler, I would be surprised if we see him in an NHL uniform again, but they have left that door open in, in just in case they can't really say he's done outright, I guess, but it really, it really is kind of crazy to think that he was a guy who was signed to this big contract not too long ago by the Ducks, and now that may be it for him. It may just be totally over. It, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. It's pretty sad. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, there's one of two ways to look at it. One is it cost him his hip, and it's, it's gonna, you know, probably he's probably gonna need another procedure in a few years. But on the other hand, he gets to ride this out with millions in his pockets and a great life. So I, I, I think he'll be all right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, uh, I <laughs> there, are, there, uh, are, there are worse ways to go out. That's true. Um, <laughs> the last thing in the duck. So there's um, this quote that I want to talk about. It, 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 comes from, it comes to us from Anaheim Calling a Site that I believe you're a little familiar with. But Yeah, um, they're all right. It, all right. Yeah. Uh, gets laugh. Just to put into just, I, I love this because this just seems insane to me, but to put into context, just how important gets laugh is to this team's offense. The captain has factored into a whopping 30% of the team's total scoring output since the start of the 2013, 2014 season. I just, I don't know how that's possible. That just seems insane to me. Right. I mean, that, that has kind of been the, 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 the story for the last few seasons is that after Getzlaff, they haven't really had this re- really reliable middle six. It's always been, if it's not Getzlaff, it's Ricard Raquel. And then after that, especially in past seasons, it hasn't really been anyone because Corey Perry's either been hurt or not really producing. So he's still very important to this team, even at age 34. I will say that I thought he, for the first time, Ever, I, he started showing some signs of decline last season, and that is again it all depends on your on your view, your perspective of the franchise. Um, you could either look at it as, oh no, we're done, he's he's declining, or yeah, he's declining, and this team is retooling. So what does it really matter? If anything, that helps the retool, helps the draft positioning. But 48 points in 67 games last season, after being above point per game the year before. He, I mean, this is what happens to every great player at, at some point in time. I think he'll be back next season and have a good year, but the days where they can just expect him to just absolutely carry them offensively, unless they can continue to surround him, I just, I don't see those days really returning. Well, that's positive. Uh, everything looking up in Anaheim. <laughs> Can't wait for the next season. Um, we'll come back to them later, maybe one day. I don't know. I don't want to think about it right now. Um, what do the Hurricanes do this offseason? They just got swept. Um, they made it to the conference finals, though, which, you know, that's what the Hurricanes do because I, I, I need to mention this quote. This comes to us from Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Very good website that I read every day. Um, if history is any indicator, it would be another fallow period followed by a stunningly deep playoff run. After all, that has been the trend since the franchise moved from Hartford in 1997. In the past 17 seasons, the Canes won a cup, lost a cup, made two conference finals and otherwise missed the postseason altogether 13 times. 
So they're basically the Florida Marlins <laughs> of the NHL. Like when they go, they go all out, and if they uh, just if they're not in the playoffs, they just uh, they, they, they just do nothing. They they do everything or nothing. It's it's pretty remarkable. Right. Right. Well, I, I think that the way they've built their team is more sustainable than it maybe was the last time they qualified for the, the conference final. If you look at their division, right, a lot because so much of this is not just up to them. It's up to who they're playing. And I think that I could definitely see Columbus taking a step back next season. I mean, they're most likely going to lose Panarin and Bobrovsky and maybe Duchesne sticks around, but I don't really see them as good of a team which is it sounds weird because they barely made it in this year, but I, I don't see them necessarily being as strong next year. I think the Islanders were a bit of fool's gold this year. They really relied on their goaltending, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, look, I, I like Robin Leonard. I love the story, but I don't know if he can be nine fifty, nine forty nine good again. That just doesn't seem very likely. Um, and the Flyers actively sought the services of Michelle Terrian and Mike Yo, so I can't really be that confident about them. Uh, Pittsburgh's always going to be there, but it does feel like there's just something kind of going wrong there. So I really would expect the Hurricanes to make the playoffs again next season. I mean, their their core is pretty set. They have all the guys that they need are, are basically locked up, except obviously uh, Sebastian Ajo, who is going to be a very rich individual <laughs> by the time this summer is over. Maybe they'll move a guy like Justin Falk. Um, maybe they'll move Dougie Hamilton. Who knows? But I, I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic that they're going to be good again next year. Yeah. I, I mean, losing your best player and not having any goalies on the roster seems like a potential problem. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It depends on what you think is going to – like, they're going to – I don't know. Like, they just – they have some scary unrestricted free agents. They do have, like, this 5'11 goalie who's been really good for the Charlotte Checkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean th- that's the thing is they also have a really good farm system, and so I, I if I, I don't know if I had to bet on it, I would say they're going to make the playoffs again next year. I don't know if they'll make the conference final again, uh, but well, they should because that's all they do. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, 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 you're right. It's either or. Uh, no, I, I, I think that they're I think that they're going to be pretty good next year again. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think if they're in the playoffs, I think we'll, we're all going to be dumb and just not take them again to go all the way. And they're like, oh, yeah, they do this. Um, getting Jordan Stahl back with it, with Williams, who's probably going to stay. I just think they're going to lose Furlan, right? Like, there's no way they're going to be able to afford Probably. Him. But I, well, yeah, probably. They're probably going to lose him in order to pay Ajo. But one thing I will say is that um, Andre Sveshnikov is only 19. And, I mean, he's. I think he's going to be even better next year. I mean, he was the second overall pick in last year's draft, and I, I think that we only really saw a hint of what he could be this season, and that's going to be huge for them as they kind of transition into this next wave. And I don't know, I just kind of Rod Brindamore really grew on me as a coach in this playoff run. Just the the, the very candid bench interviews. It just he always has great quotes. I guess I'm just a sucker for good PR. I don't know, but I I have faith that that they kind of know what they're doing over there. Especially, um, so I was a big Dumb and Dumber fan growing up, and just seeing <laughs> Jeff Daniels go from that role in Dumb and Dumber and just his career as an actor and be able to transition into uh, a post-acting life in Carolina, Raleigh, Carolina, as uh, Brenda Moore's assistant coach. I I thought it was 
you don't see that very often. So I, I just think that he deserves a lot more credit for making the transition um, because I don't think a lot of people will be able to to do something like that, right? It, it is crazy to think about how uh, there's so many former players who go on to be coaches, and I would say it's a mixed bag of success. That's the only way to put it. But I love he, you taking this question seriously. Well, I, I do want to point it out just a little bit because Brenda Moore, it, he has gone from, in my opinion, obviously one of the great players to one of the great coaches in basically a couple of years. You, you just don't see that. And so I'm going to give a little love there to Rod Brenda Moore. Okay. I, I, I prefer Jeff Daniels, um, <laughs> star of the newsroom. So great, good for him finding a second life in Carolina hockey. Um, if you had to guess who their goalie is next year, who would you guess? Oh God. I, I think they'll probably, geez, I don't know. I mean, I think, did Morazic show them enough in these playoffs that they're going to give him an offer? But they I might think not that be able, it might not be up to them. He might get more elsewhere. Yeah, but if you're another team, are you really buying what you've seen? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like he's not going to have 27. Much. He is. He is. I, I would suspect that they'll bring him back. And then I don't see them being in on the Bobrovsky sweepstakes personally. And then after that, the free agent goaltenders, I, I could see them bringing him back and just kind of riding it out. But it's just one of those things with Carolina where you can never, no matter what they do in net, you just never feel great about what's going on back there. So I don't know. Well, great situations all around. Um, I, and it's hard to see a situation where Don Waddell is running your franchise, it not working out in the long term. So I think they're, <laughs> they're good hands. Anytime you have an opportunity to recreate the Atlanta Thrashers front office 2.0, you do it so um oh, good for them God. they're gonna be okay yeah um speaking of people that are gonna be okay the san jose sharks are now no. down three two um can i just say like the shark tank has this great um look and it seems like those fans are awesome pretty dead for that game yeah right like, yeah it, it felt weirdly dead like that they've already given up is it the injuries or whatever i, I don't know it's just weirdly quiet for a, a, a critical playoff game yeah, I agree with you there. It was hard to watch just because you could just feel it slipping away from them almost minute by minute. You can only withstand so many injuries before you can't really you, you can't really be that optimistic at a certain point. So I don't know. I mean, they, it's a really good building. I've been to many games there, and the fans are always really loud. But I I kind of can't fault them for just being a little shell shocked by what happened because that went from a very from a seemingly very competitive series to just an absolute blowout in that game five. And all of a sudden you, you lose a bunch of guys, guys who probably shouldn't be playing anyway. If we're being honest, Eric Carlson has not really looked like himself at all these playoffs. And it was only getting worse. Joe Pavelski before this series, the last time we saw him, he was laying in a pool of blood against Vegas. So I don't know. They, he would just, be the first soul to uh, be laying in a pool of blood in, uh, in Vegas, so he's not alone. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just one of those things where you can only play so many games and withstand so many injuries before it catches up to you, and that's without even mentioning all of the calls that have gone their way. It just feels like they've made too many deals with the devil, and it's it's coming back to back to bite them. But that being said hockey being the completely irrational and unpredictable sport that it is, they could 
easily win the next two games and be off to the final for all I know. <laughs> can we rule out that God really, really hates Joe Thornton? <laughs> I think we can. I think we can. I don't know if we can totally rule it out, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I, I have this, maybe I'm not as conspiracy theory as everyone else, but I, I think that of, of all the quote unquote calls that have gone for the sharks, there's really only one of them, the hand pass that I think actually was both, both the wrong call and decided the game where if you look at the games, the game seven major penalty against Cody Eakin Yes, it, w- it was probably not a major penalty. It might not even be a minor penalty, but the Vegas Golden Knights still had an opportunity to defend their lead. They didn't have to give up four goals and how minutes that they did allow them. Um, so there's that. Uh, you know, again, it's it's a huge call. It's it's a very potentially game changing call. But as, as the team that's been penalized, you still have that opportunity. And then you know the offside review against Colorado that was the right call. I mean, I don't know that seemed like a pretty obvious offside to me, but the hand pass against St. Louis, that was just black and white, the wrong call. The officials didn't no one on the ice saw it and it directly led to a goal. So that to me is the only one that really is, was both horrible and actually gave them an edge. Whereas the rest, I just feel like tough, but I can't, I can't totally take anything away from them for those calls. I, it feels right, though, the more I think about uh, a Blues-Bruins matchup. And, does, it, um, does it feel right? It feel, it so feels the a little, I think it feels right. It feels well, like a randomizer. Reason, kind of, but if you look at the way <laughs> the two teams are playing in the playoffs, mm-hmm. it makes yeah. sense. Where the yeah. Bruins are a team that their depth is just overwhelming everybody and getting great play from their fourth line, third line, second mm-hmm. line, and non-stars having the mayor of Boston and all this dude, like <laughs> they just, they're getting all kinds of big, like their defense has scored a bunch of goals for them and they've been able to just find different ways to bury teams. And the Bruin and the blues are the same thing where it's like their fourth line has a goal in like four consecutive games. Like that's who scored first after that Eric Carlson, just um, dumb clear out. It's, <laughs> It's interesting because I, I think that's been the theme, and I think that would be a suitable ending to the NHL playoffs of the the Blues and the Bruins, two teams that have gotten um, not it, like elite level play from like one line, but just solid mm-hmm. play from a variety of of people and pieces. No, I, I think that's totally fair. I also, if you look at it, the the Blues were my conference final pick because I just didn't see the field that they were going against really challenging them. And, but I still had the sharks going to the final. And I think looking back now, I would probably still make the same pick, but the sharks have just withstood or I've taken too many blows. Whereas the blues, like you said, they don't really necessarily rely on any one line or one player. And they've just kind of been steady enough. They haven't like, like the sharks taken all these shots and these injuries and they do in a way play like the Bruins a little bit where they're, they're physical, but they've got skill. They have, they get the goaltending. So, you know, it's a good story. In some ways, the blues are not, they're not really a glamor franchise in the NHL, but they haven't been to the finals since the seventies and they, they built a pretty nice team. So it's crazy though, to think that back in December, this was a team that was like on its deathbed basically. And now we're talking about them as, yeah, they're pretty clearly the best team in the Western Conference right now. So <laughs> you got to love this sport. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, also, the Blues fired their coach. 
very early in the season and they just promote yeah. Craig Berube and then they go probably to the Stanley Cup. It's like this isn't happening <laughs> in other professional sports where like you teams that fire their coach this early in the season, it usually ends up in a dumpster fire. It yeah. usually ends up like what the Ducks happened where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they're going to be bad anyway and they just fired their coach to get ahead of it and get ahead of the coaching search. No, they uh, it actually revitalized <laughs> them and then they went on this crazy run. Um, but to be fair, I mean, he was the coach of their AHL team and he did have experience and stuff like that. So that's a little bit different. Um, and hockey is just a lot of these guys just have prior head coaching experience on different levels even if they Mm -hmm. do come into an interim role so you just have to look at it a little bit different but um where would you guess he lives uh craig berube where would i guess that he lives yeah would you guess at st louis where he actually coaches a hockey team (laughs) yes i I would no it's not where he lives he lives in pennsylvania what county is that not insane yeah wait how's how's that possible i don't know interesting I, I need to look into this now. Of the St. Louis Blues moved out of the city. Can't keep the Rams. Can't keep their coaches. Nobody well, wants to live in St. Louis. Well, I don't know. With the way the L.A. Rams are going, they may be back in St. Louis within a few years because we yeah. all know LA, L.A. sports fans don't support a team that doesn't consistently win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh my god! I I don't know. I just I came across that and I'm like, what? Bucks County. Well, I I guess it makes sense. I mean, because you know he wasn't really probably expecting the situation until it was kind of forced upon him. Uh, I guess maybe he was going to get back to the the Flyers job. He was like, you know, maybe that's going to open up. I can <laughs> I can get that one. He was a coach well, there originally. Yeah. What's interesting with St. Louis though is that before the season started, I was pretty high on them as a team that could that could actually go far into the playoffs. But I had forgotten how terrible of a coach Mike Yo is, was and is. Um, you know, because bringing Ryan O'Reilly was such a great move. I love that trade from Buffalo. They didn't really have to give up a whole lot. I mean, they gave up Tage Thompson, Patrick Berglund, who's not even in the NHL anymore. So, I mean, that was a really good move for them. And I think Ryan O'Reilly's always been one of those guys who's just completely underrated and overlooked because maybe he's not the flashiest or whatever it is, but they, they've always had a pretty good roster. And I guess it just goes to show that if how, you know, in a way hockey with the way coaching works, it's almost not so much. What does this coach add to a team? It's just, what does he not take away? What, like to what degree does he not basically reduce their upside, reduce their potential? There's so many, coaches where it just feels like they're hindering their team and Bruby, maybe he just lets them play. You know, that a lot of players have talked about that with Brindamore in Carolina, just kind of letting the talent take its natural course. And I don't know, maybe that's what we're seeing here, but anyway, all this to say, I still have no idea what the Flyers are doing. hiring Mike Yo on their staff. I don't think the Flyers have ever known what they were doing. I think if we <laughs> learned anything, um, God. I, yeah, it's, it's not great there. So uh, bad. Poor Flyers fans. Because uh, like, there was a little bit of hope where they, they cleaned house and you were like, oh, maybe yeah. they'll, they'll get their act together. Uh, no, they, they're, they're not. They, they went with the, they went like, instead of where some teams go total rebuild or total retool, this team just went total retread with its coaching staff. Just Vino, who's a decent coach, but then Tarion, who as a Canadian fan, I have a very bitter and not so positive uh, memory of in Montreal and then Mike Yo, who has never been good anywhere. So I'm really, I mean, again, as a Canadian fan, as someone who roots for a team that 
should have made the playoffs this season. The first or one of three teams in the in the post lockout era to not make it with 96 points or above. Um, I am pretty happy to see a fringe team in the East make moves that are actively making it worse. So no complaining for me here. Last thing on the Blues, and we'll move on to my last quick thing. Uh, what makes Jaden Schwartz really good at uh, hockey? I mean, he's a good player, and any given player can get hot at any point in time. I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes, especially in the playoffs where the top line is getting all the attention and uh, or even certain players on a line are getting a lot of attention. So I've always liked Jaden Schwartz as a player. I don't think anyone – He's just one of those guys everyone seems to agree is good, but I, I'm not going to be the one to necessarily say, yes, this guy's an elite talent because of a hot playoff run. Yeah, but it's a good story and I like it. Yeah, um, it's a great story. Then... No, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I just have to be a, I just have to be a pessimist here. Well, this podcast has been very positive. So I'm glad we're <laughs> wrapping up here on a very, um, very great note. Um, the Rangers, their assistant GM, who was there for 47 years, uh, departed. And um, they're another team going through a quasi-rebuild. It depends on how much you believe that they're going to keep this thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, what What do you make of that? Is that a, is that a weird thing for their uh, GM, uh, assistant GM to leave after so many years with the franchise? Is that a good sign, bad sign? What do you make of it? Um, I think that there's two things going on here. One, on the topic of the rebuild, I think the Rangers have done the rebuild really properly they don't have any bad contracts really outside of maybe a couple and even that's a stretch um and they're going to have a ton of cap space this summer to it's funny how the both the new york teams and nba and nhl are both going to be big players in free agency this summer but i think that with um the recent departure it's more i think about other opportunities other directions than it is necessarily about the rangers themselves um with Ken Holland going to Edmonton with Steve Eiserman going to Detroit. I don't necessarily know what's next for him, but I, I could see it being more about that. I'm just seeing other opportunities. Cause I do think that the Oilers are they're They're going for it now. I mean, they have to find a way to bring those days back and there is a bit of a connection there. So I could see, I could see this being more about Ken Holland than anything really Rangers related. Okay. Well, I uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, the Rangers. I mean, just how much did Batman want that he used to go to the Rangers? <laughs> that just, um, well, Capo Caco looks really good right now uh, at the true. Worlds. So I think that, and I love how the, the Devils are doing this thing of posting highlights of both players on their Twitter account. Um, just, just to make us think even for a second they're not going to get Jack Hughes. But the Rangers are really well positioned. I mean, they're going to, again, have so much cap space. They could be players for any of these big free agents. I I think they're the favorite to get Artemi Panarin. And once you have a guy like that, I mean, you can start really building around him. Or, you know, they could go get an Eric Carlson, Matthew Shane. They have so many options. And they're going to get a top two pick. I I could see them being back in the playoffs next season. This is probably my most controversial take. But I think that the Rangers could easily be back in the mix as early as next year, just because they've really they've really done it the right way here. How fucking fun is it to say Capo Caco? It is fun. I, I, it is what fun. A name. The finish. It is, it is a name. Out names. I think that would top your your top five if he ever came on this podcast, dude. Can you imagine a front <laughs> line, a first line with Capo Caco and Felix Sicard? 
Yeah. Yeah, throw in Yasperi Kotkaniemi from the Canadians, and I think that's that's a top line right there. Jesus. The NHL wouldn't be ready. Um, did you know that Kako is both a type 1 diabetic and has cellu- c- Is it celiac? What is this? Celiac? Oh, celiac. Celiac. Really? I don't even know what that really? is. What is celiac disease? Uh, it's actually where your body cannot, I think, digest gluten, something like that. It's oh, in your stomach. Yeah. My dad has yes. that. Yes. So that's how I know. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's. It's a tough one because you obviously have to watch what you eat, but I did not know that. That's that's actually pretty impressive. It's concerning. That... You have to go Jack Hughes there. Um, he's he's I, like I an elite can... athlete. <laughs> like I, I know gluten is very very common <laughs> in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> this is true. So <laughs> I don't think you can risk it. Uh, I think Jack Hughes <laughs> and his ability to away. ingest gluten without yeah, there's, uh, there's probably more gluten free restaurants in New York City than uh, than New Jersey. I'm guessing. Hey, but you know, I can I can relate. I have some weird allergies. Like I'm allergic to penicillin and uh, sulfur. So if I get really? sulfur in me, I break out in rashes. Yeah. What What has sulfur in it? I probably should know uh, the answer to this, but I don't. I don't know either. I just what, found out what is like a common young. sulfur? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's but I break you, maybe, out in like maybe, pink rashes. Maybe you should find out what what contains sulfur. <laughs> just yeah, friendly advice here. <laughs> Look, I'm 28, and I haven't. Um, you made it this far. So clearly right. sulfur is not, not prevalent where you live. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like the rash is weird. Like I, I still have a, a a very distinct memory of breaking out like pink dots all over. That is concerning. Yeah, it was weird. It was kind of cool. <laughs> if you ever want to just like get out of a bad situation, I can just find some sulfur, ingest it and break out. And be like, I can't be here. Do you see this? Yeah, um, there you yeah. go. Well, let's see. So coconut milk contains sulfur and well, dairy. Well, I coconut, so that's good. Eggs contain sulfur. No, do, you eat eggs? do they? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it has to be a, a high quantity of sulfur for you to react. I don't know. There can't be that much sulfur in an egg. Anyway, this is completely away from any topic we've really talked about so far. No, oh, we, well. this is a very good hockey this podcast. We can this, 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 and... this is what it's all about, sulfur talk. Sulfur. Love some good sulfur. Um, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, very positive podcast. Everything's great. Ducks are great. Hurricanes, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, everything's believe. great. Believe in, believe in the, the surge. There you go. Um, Felix, what can we look out for you on Anaheim Calling or anywhere else this week? Uh, so we just made a big, big, relatively big move over at the pod. We joined the Vox Media Podcast Network. So... SB Nation is basically trying to invest more into podcasting. And so that just means we're going to be able to have a more consistent show, hopefully have some more guests. Um, so if you want to check that out, uh, if you're looking for Ducks content, just go over to the Apple Podcast app, type in Anaheim Calling, or anywhere you get your podcast. We actually just um, expanded to Spotify as well. So we're definitely all over the place there. I would absolutely recommend that for ducks content i actually have a piece coming out and i'm calling.com some questions facing the ducks this summer which <laughs> doing this pod kind of basically had me running through them in my head so that's good so you can check that all out on uh follow me on twitter at felix underscore sicard um i'm not going to type or i'm not going to spell it out on air just however it's spelled in the description of the pod here go go search that up and uh if you, if you need your ducks fix i'm your guy There you go. Felix, thank you so much. Talk to you soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.
And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.